Welcome to the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. It's time for you. A podcast produced for the sheep industry by Sheep Connect New South Wales. Hi, I'm Fiona MacArthur, a network coordinator for Sheep Connect New South Wales, the sheep extension network in New South Wales, which is funded by Australian Wool Innovation. Sheep Connect New South Wales has a membership of over 2,200 and our main aim is to help keep you and your sheep business up to date on information about all things sheep. Wild dogs cost the Australian economy $66.3 million every year. Australian Wool Innovations funds and co-funds wild dog coordinators in each Australian mainland state. The wild dog coordinator aims to help producers and other key stakeholders collaborate to reduce the impact of predation by wild dogs and therefore improve on-farm productivity, rural community well-being and rural biodiversity. The position also aims to help coordinate on-ground wild dog control activities. This is vital, but can be challenging for landholders without the external help provided by an independent coordinator. In this episode of It's Time For You, I'm joined by Dave Worsley. Dave is the Australian Wool Innovations Wild Dog Facilitator in the New England and has held this position for the last five years. Dave is a second generation sheep and cattle producer in Inverell and the owner operator of a seven and a half thousand acre grazing operation. After completing university, Dave has been on the board of the local land services in the Northern Tablelands for the last six years and the chairman of the Nullamanna Wellingrove Wild Dog Group for over 10 years. Dave joined me recently for the Sheep Connect New South Wales webinar on wild dogs. I have invited Dave to join us today to give us a snapshot of wild dogs and their control. Welcome, Dave, and thank you for joining the podcast. Hi. Dave, to start us off, could you please define in terms of animal production, what is a wild dog? A wild dog, by definition, is any free-roaming dog on your land, not domestic. So how does it differ to a dingo? Because that's what I call a wild dog. Uh, We don't differentiate on the purity of the animal. It's simply any free-roaming dog that is on your land, so they potentially may be pure dingoes. There are very few pure dingoes on the eastern seaboard. Um, However, their purity does vary, but there's no definition based on purity. It's simply the fact that they are a free-roaming dog on your land causing issues. Okay, so they obviously differ a lot in appearance. Um, how does the different appearances and purity, as you call it, uh, compared to the dingo, differ geographically? Um, there are geogra- really geographic groups of dogs, obviously because of the breeding and I guess the the travel and lack thereof. That there are different looking dogs and and packs of dogs areas for dogs. So they go from the iconic sandy looking dog right through to a very what you'd think was a stylish black and tan kelpie to anything and everything in between a lot of sable colored dogs there's there's enormous variation in what these wild dogs actually look like they obviously um i'm assuming they travel a fair bit what's the average sort of area of activity of a wild dog and this must have an effect on your ability to control it uh yes it does it, the 
areas can vary massively. The average area in northeast New South Wales is about 7,100 hectares or 17,500 acres. So in order to be controlling dogs, we really need to be thinking in terms of their landscape and not ours. We get very tied up as farmers in everything happens within our boundary fence and we focus inwardly. And the tighter and the worse it gets, the more we focus inwardly on that. Whereas we need to be looking at the dog's territory because under current management in, in many instances, unfortunately, imaginary lines on maps are really are the dog's best friend because he steps through a, an imaginary line and all of a sudden he's in a safe zone. So we need to be working on the, the size of the dog's territory in order to control them. That's such an extraordinary um, amount of area. I often hear producers say that they don't have a dog problem in their area but or on their property. There's obviously a lot of crossover and the distance they travel is therefore huge, as you've said. How much dog-free country do you think we actually have in New South Wales sheep producing regions? Unfortunately, extremely little. It's more about the density of the dogs and how much damage is actually occurring. But I believe you would struggle. In fact, I don't think you could draw a 100 kilometre radius circle anywhere in New South Wales without encountering dog country. And dogs are more than capable of moving those sorts of distances in quite short times when they migrate to new territory. So no, no one is immune at this point in time from dogs in any way, shape or form. So really it's a problem for all sheep producers in New South Wales. So what extent of the damage to wild dog cause can cause to a sheep flock? Look, the losses, losses can be massive. I've, I've talked to people very often who can lose 15 and 20 sheep in a night, um, and that's adult sheep, not to mention the damage that can be done in lambing flocks as well with mismothering as well as the killing. Um, unfortunately, rarely do you find that these dogs kill a sheep, eat and go home. If that were the case, I think we'd all feel a whole lot better. But most of the time you'll find these animals that are maimed, um, you know, hamstrings torn out, etc., kidneys missing, and most of the animals have to be euthanized as opposed to being dead when you find them. And if you don't find them in time, many die either as a result of fly strike or blood poisoning. So it's very, very traumatic on the animals as well as the physical cost, not to mention their owners. It's uh, extremely hard mentally on producers. Oh, well, it's obviously a serious problem and it's clear we need to control them and um, it, it's a problem for all sheep producers in reality. So what are the main principles of a control program that producers need to consider? Um, so the principles are really for all producers and I'll just make the point that there's significant damage in the cattle industry as well with calves killed, disease, um, mis you know, just basically stirring animals up and, and so on and very, very often talking to people, talking to a producer last night who's just lost six wieners on the northern tablelands. So it's for all producers, not just sheep producers. Um, the, the main real concepts are that it has to be coordinated because we can't be simply working on our own because we're really setting ourselves up to fail. We have to have a coordinated program across a, a large landscape. So it's got to be a cooperative nil tenure program as well, covering all the country because any 4,000 hectare gap that we leave is a guaranteed survival of these animals and a guaranteed ongoing problem. Must be broad scale. Um, and it also needs to be integrated as well. So we need to be using a number of control techniques and baiting is the 
the baseline control. It's the easiest, cheapest, most effective control, but at the same time, we need to have our trapping, shooting, howling, and all those other things working for us as well. We've got to get all our ducks in a line and work together. Dave, with um, baiting obviously being so important, what's the ideal time to bait and why are those times chosen? Okay, so ideally there are two times of the year when we, we really want to be baiting or focused on baiting, and they're April, May, generally May, but certainly April as well, and the dogs are moving and breeding, but also that May period, because it's the, the point where the dog population is at its lowest in a 12-month period, essentially, because it's past the breeding season and going back around, so any natural um, losses have already occurred. So every dog you take out is a higher percentage of population, Bearing in mind effective control, we must take out 70% of that population annually to be getting anywhere. If we're not taking out 70%, we're losing the battle. The second really important time is October to November when the pups are emerging. So the, the pups are coming out. They're basically um, born usually in sort of late July, August, around that period of June to August in there. And they start to get out with mum starting to hunt around the, the end of October and you know leaving home. So really around schoolies week is a good time for that second baiting because you've got all those teenagers who are just busting out of home and they're running around and trying all sorts of strange things. And you can have a really effective reduction in population by taking out young naive dogs at that time of year. Dave, with baiting being so effective, it must be a common question for you. Does baiting affect our native animals? No, it really doesn't. We're fortunate in the 1080 is a naturally occurring substance in Australia. So our native animals have degrees of immunity to it. And our introduced canids, our dogs and our foxes are extremely susceptible to it. So we actually use very low amounts of 1080 in these baits. Um, if we were doing pig poisoning, we use a we have a much higher strength 1080 bait, but for our dogs and foxes, it's very low, and it actually assists our native um, animals because we're actually taking out the predators. So removing the dogs, the dogs and the foxes from the population actually allows our native animals to come back. And point point in case is the fact that we now have abundant quolls here. I've I've lived here all my life as um, my parents moved here in 1968, never saw a quoll. I see quolls on a regular basis now because the predators have actually been removed and they've actually come into the environment. Well, it seems to be a win for the farmers and a win for our native fauna. So you mentioned that May is one of the key baiting times, which is just around the corner. So if farmers wish to be involved in a control group and a baiting group, how can they get started? Okay, there's probably three good ways. And the first one is not to do it on your own. Contact your neighbours to form a baiting group. Um, contact local land services, your local land services by security officers who will assist you with that process. And also your AWI uh, wild dog facilitators as well. Um, having said that at the moment, very, very tied up and busy, but always willing to support anyone anywhere, um, as we all are. But local land service is a really good starting point. Talk to your biosecurity officers and start building up a group and a network to make sure that you're effective. Thanks, Dave, for sharing your knowledge with us and your time with us today. It's been very timely with baiting programs due to start in the coming weeks. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of It's Time For You the Sheep Connect New South Wales podcast. 
We'd appreciate it if you could share our podcast within your networks. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to the Australian Wool Innovation Podcast, The Yarn. We have just launched our latest promotion to keep you up to date. To enter, simply join our network on www.sheepconnectnewsouthwales.com, subscribe to our podcast on either iTunes or Spotify, and like, share and tag three friends on the promotional post on our Facebook page. Competition runs till the end of April. All entries will go into the draw to win a $200 Wool Arena gift voucher. We look forward to seeing you at our workshops and events later in the year. Thanks again for joining today's podcast. Bye for now.